Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Well, I do, in all honesty, appreciate your willingness to be flexible with us this summer while we do something uh, a little different. And for those of you who are freaked out, it's just for the summer. And for those of you who love it, it's just for the summer. So enjoy it. Uh, I, I know that change can be a little uncomfortable. Uh, sometimes having to uh, sit and, and look at other people in the eyeballs can feel a little awkward. So uh, I thought I would help out, as an extremely awkward person, I thought I would help out the awkward among us. So I did what awkward people do in 2022 when we want to know how to engage in a social situation. I went to Google. And so Google is going to help us figure out how to at least initially interact with the people around you. So I found uh, 13 ways to greet someone in English. So if you're feeling like, I don't know how to do this sitting at a table thing, we got you covered. Okay, number one, hello. This is the most basic greeting in English. We can use it at any time in any situation. We can also use it before other greetings, sentences, and questions like, hello, how are you? Or hello, my name is Josh. What's your name? Hello, can you help me with something? Or even hello, I'm looking for the subway. Number two, hi. This is a shorter version of hello. Some people may say that hi is a more casual version of hello, but we can also use hi in any situation. It is not a problem if we use hi in a formal situation. I don't know if this is a formal situation, but you can use hi either way. Three, hey. Now, hey is definitely more casual than hi or hello. It is best to only use hey with family and friends or maybe a close coworker, or might I add, somebody you go to church with, okay? Uh, Hey can also be used to get somebody's attention, as in, hey, get over here. Number four, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We can use these simple and polite situations to greet somebody. Obviously, we use different expressions depending on the time of day. These expressions are great for formal situations, but we can also use them naturally with our friends and family. Really, these expressions can be used in any situation. Note, we use goodnight to say goodbye, but we can never use goodnight to say hello. Even if we're meeting somebody at night, we cannot use it as a greeting. We need to use another greeting. Fair enough, more options. Five, it's nice to meet you. This works. This is a very polite expression to use the first time we meet somebody. Many times people shorten this expression and leave out the it is, as in nice to meet you. Number six, it's a pleasure to meet you. This is the same as it's nice to meet you, and it can also be shortened, pleasure to meet you. Number seven, it's good to see you again. We use this greeting for people that we have already met before. However, We do not use this for our friends, family, or people that we see often. We use it for people we do not see or meet often, but have met before. This greeting can also be shortened. Good to see you again. We can also change see to meet. It's good to meet you again, or good to meet you again. Okay, so far so good. About halfway there. Eight. (laughs) What's up? This is a very casual greeting that can be used among friends. What's up is asking if the person has any news or anything special to tell. It is common to respond to this greeting by saying 
nothing. This means that everything is the same and your life is good. As in, what's up? Nothing, what's up with you? Nothing new, everything is good. But we can respond in other ways. We do not even need to answer the question because usually what's up is just a casual greeting. What's up? Hey, how are you? Or what's up? I'm good, how are you? Number nine, sup. This is a slang version of what's up. It is used the same way. This is usually used by younger people, which is why you all laughed when I used it. I'm glad they clarified though, because if I looked at my grandma and said sup at church, she'd be like, it is only 11 o'clock. You're ready for dinner already? This is way too early. Okay. 10, how's it going? This is a very common expression that is used to greet somebody. This expression is asking how a person's life is going. Are they doing well? Are they healthy? How is their job? We can think of it, in how's it going, as your life. We can respond to this question any way we want. How's it going? Everything is going well. How about you? How's it going? Everything is good. How's it going? I'm okay. How are you? How's it going? Not well. I got fired yesterday. Took a dark turn. Number 11, how are you? This is one of the most basic greetings in English. In English, it is polite to ask somebody how they are doing when you meet them. You give basic responses like this. How are you? I'm good. You? Or how are you? I'm okay. How are you? If you respond that you are very good or very bad, then the other person will definitely ask you why. So only respond this way if you want to talk more about something. As in, how are you? I'm great. Why is that? I finally found a job, which is good because I apparently got fired yesterday. Okay, number 12, how have you been? This question is very similar to how are you? However, how are you is asking about a per how a person's feeling right now. How have you been is asking about their life from the last time we met them until now. Clear as mud. Number 13, what's new? This is a casual greeting that is usually only used among friends it is just asked if anything special or new has happened to a person since the last time we met them. As in, what's new? Nothing. Okay, so now that you uh, can form shallow relationships with the people around you by asking connecting questions, uh, let's talk a little bit this morning about how we maybe form a fuller and more meaningful relationship with the people around us. Uh, I wanna talk this morning about what does it mean to participate in a full relationship with somebody else. Maybe a different way to say this was, what does it mean to fully participate in a relationship with someone else? Uh, this, this summer, we are gonna do our best to create some conversation uh, around the table for you. So you may be connecting, especially if you're at a small table with other tables around you. You can move tables if you need to. The furniture does move. We you know, have to move it back, but it does move. So you can you know, slide tables together, move chairs around, all those kinds of things. We're, we're gonna create a little conversation. So to get you started, we're gonna give you 60 seconds and chat people online. You guys can just throw all this in the chat, okay? I'm gonna give us 60 seconds and yes, I'm going to time us. And here's what I want you to do. In the next 60 seconds, name as many, when I tell you to say go, frog jumpers, okay. When I tell you to say go, uh, name as many relationships as you can. For example, mother, 
Um, and, and really, like, you don't have to name both sides, right? It's like mother, child, you don't have to go, okay, and child, mother, and I mean, I guess you can. Anyway, you're naming as many as you can. Uh, barista and customer, uh, author and reader, name as many different relationships as you can. Ready, set, go. About 15 more seconds, 10 more seconds. All right, time is up. Shout some out at me. What did you guys come up with at your table? Sock and shoe. Sock and shoe. I did not see that one coming. No, yeah, no, that's, uh, we're going to take an SAT test here pretty soon. Sock is to shoes. What else? Doctor, patient, what? Mother, father. Correction officer and inmate. Correction officer and inmate. There's a story. Teacher, student. Husband and wife. Awesome. Awesome. All these kinds of different relationships that we get to engage in. Jesus engaged in all kinds of relationships with all kinds of people. And he was different things to different people. He was a teacher. He was a healer. He was a savior. He was also a son and a brother and a friend. And we get to watch him engage in all of these different relationships at their different levels. Sometimes with people of great status, sometimes with people who had no status at all, in intimate gatherings, in really public gatherings, at formal dinner parties and hanging out, laid back with his friends. And yet Jesus engaged fully in the relationships around him. In Jesus's life, and really throughout scripture, we see story after story of people gathered around the table, engaged in relationship with each other. This summer, we're gonna be telling stories out of scripture of people gathered around tables and what they learned, or of who is invited to gather at the table, or of God's invitation for you to gather and feast with him. I wanna start this week with a story about Jesus as a friend and a teacher. But before we get to that story, I wanna talk about why this question matters. Why does it matter that we fully participate in relationship with other people? What kind of difference does that make for us as we're following Jesus? A Jesus follower named John wrote a letter to the early church 
And in it, he says this. This is in 1 John chapter four. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. I'm gonna back up a little bit and give us the the context and the run up to this verse. So going back up to verse 16. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, as all of us who have said, God, you have my life through Jesus, I give you my life. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. How we participate in relationship matters for at least two reasons. One, because if we're gonna gather together and say that we love God, the proof for that statement is in how we love each other. And two, because if we're going to be a people who goes, goes out of here and tells the world that God loves them, the proof is in how we love them. Jesus said the most significant thing we could do is love God and love others. So as we're talking about participating in relationship with others, we have to keep this truth at the forefront of our minds, that a Jesus-following relationship, the relationships that Jesus followers engage in, a Jesus-following relationship is built on love. It's built on meeting their deepest needs and desiring their greatest good. If we are to love like Jesus, if we are to, as, as John said, live like Jesus here in this world, then our relationships are going to be built on a love that aims to meet the deepest needs of the people around us and desires their greatest good because that's how Jesus loved the world, loved the people around him, loved us. So take a moment and think about the most meaningful relationships in your life. Over the years, past and present, what relationships have been the most meaningful to you? And here's the question I'd love for you to discuss around your tables. We're gonna give you five minutes for this one, so take your time. What thoughts, emotions, or actions 
made that relationship meaningful? What thoughts, what actions, what feelings make a, a relationship a meaningful one? Create full relationship with others. Take a few minutes, talk about it uh, amongst your table or in the online chat.
All right. Wrap up your conversations. Meaningful relationships. Meaningful relationships. Online, I'm seeing things like uh, vulnerability, sharing together, listening, encouraging. In the room, I heard things about commitment and intention and noticed that a lot of people get nervous when I walk by, which was unexpected, but true. So there you go. I, I always knew I was more intimidating than people told me I was. Uh, let's, let's take a look at a story of Jesus engaging in uh, full relationships. We're going to dive into uh, Luke's account of Jesus's life, the gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in what we now call Luke chapter 10. Um, and I want to set the context just a little bit because Luke is writing a letter. He's writing an account to other people of Jesus's life. And oftentimes, I think maybe especially with the story we're going to talk about this morning, we pull stories out of the gospel and we just treat it as its own thing, like it's not connected to anything else. But as Luke is writing this, he's connecting thoughts upon thought upon thought. And we don't know exactly which ones are supposed to be tightly connected or not. But Luke chapter 10 is intriguing to me as we get into this story. In Luke 10, Luke records a conversation between Jesus and somebody who's questioning him. And the conclusion of their conversation is that the most important things we can do, the most important commandments are to love God and love others, to love God and love your neighbor. And the, the man says, okay, but, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because this love thing and this like meeting their deepest needs and desiring their greatest good, that, that, that feels hard. So if you could limit the number of people I have to love, that'd be really good. Um, and uh, Jesus tells a story. Uh, we know the story as the story of the Good Samaritan, which is a term you know, even if you don't know the story. But essentially, the moral of the story is that everybody is your neighbor and that we are expected to meet the, I mean, Jesus is sort of defining what love looks like. It does not always mean the holiest, most pious thing. It sometimes means getting down in the dirt with somebody and loving them at their lowest moments. It means desiring to meet the need and the greatest good for the other person. And then Luke immediately moves into this story of Jesus engaging in relationship in the home of his friend Martha. So it's Luke chapter 10. I'm gonna start in verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken 
away from her. And there is a powerful lesson in this story about the difference between doing things for Jesus and doing things with Jesus. And it is a lesson that God is working on in me this week again and probably will be more times in the future. And I do want to encourage you to reflect on that for your own life. What, what is the difference between doing things for Jesus and doing things as part of your relationship with Jesus? As we dive into this story this morning, I want to look at the ways that Jesus and Mary and Martha engage with one another and how this reflects for us participating in a full relationship. Part of why we tossed out a bunch of relationships earlier is because sometimes when we think of the word relationship, we immediately go to something romantic. But there is so much more than that. Some of these relationships are lifelong relationships. Sometimes you have a five-minute relationship with somebody. They're your server at the restaurant, your barista at the coffee shop. They're changing your oil. How do you engage in that relationship even in a full way? I want to start as we draw lessons out of this story with something that may feel very basic, but I think is a really important step between a shallow relationship and a full relationship. Jesus actually uses their names. In a full relationship, you learn and know and use their name. Again, that feels kind of basic. But a lot of us, self-included, struggle learning people's names. And you will always cap your relationship with somebody at a fairly shallow point if you do not know and use their name. There's something about hearing our name from somebody else that creates or implies a connection of some sort, a sense of being seen and known, before a relationship can feel like a full relationship, it is extremely helpful, and I would even say necessary, to learn and know and use their name. And again, I'm not particularly good at this, and I'm working on getting better at it. Some of you know I'm not good at it, because I've had to ask you, I don't know how many times what your name is. I'm working on it, and I'm, believe it or not, better at it than I used to be, because this is such an important part of engaging in full relationship with other people. If you can use your barista's or your waiter's name, it changes the fullness of that relationship even for that five minutes. If we can use each other's names, it changes those conversations even if it's a 30-second conversation where the question is asked, how are you, and the answer is fine. Like it just, to use the name changes the fullness of a relationship. I don't think we're going to all be miraculously good at this, although that would be awesome. So maybe we just work to create a culture here where it's okay to ask somebody their name more than four times. And we just, we're like, look, I know you told me, but then I went on vacation and I got sunburned and I came back and I don't remember anymore. What was your name again? Okay, 
Uh, so if you need to do that around your table, just, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Ask. Now, if you're, those of you who are asking your spouse what their name is. Um, yeah, okay. Let's move on. Uh, there has been uh, some hand-wringing and consternation in the past, oh, 30 years or so in church circles about each successive generation and how more people in each generation moving forward are walking away from the church as they grow up. This is a good thing to be concerned about, and it's a good thing to pay attention to. And researchers like to put people in buckets of generations because it helps them sort of group people together and go, okay, people who have experienced the same kinds of things growing up and in the decades since they were declared grown up, they are reacting this certain way, obviously in huge generalities. So uh, researchers right now are looking into Gen Z and why Gen Z as they become adults is, uh, is walking away from the church in large numbers. Uh, for those of you who still feel like uh, teenagers are millennials, uh, bad news for you, uh, the youngest millennial is 25. Okay, and the way they sort of created this cutoff um, is uh, millennials remember when there wasn't internet. Okay, uh, for Gen Z, the best way I can kind of describe that group, uh, they are right now 10 to 25 is what they're saying. People in Gen Z do not remember 9-11, and by the time they got to middle school, their friends were getting iPhones. Okay, because that was, that was an option for them. So that's Gen Z. Why is Gen Z saying, man, I don't know that church is for me? They're giving two major reasons. One is they don't think that the church will love them and their friends. And two is that they don't feel like they belong. They grew up in the church. They were around the church. They don't feel like they actually belong to the church. I love it when researchers flip a question on its head and go, okay, well, if people are feeling like they don't belong, there are some people who are saying they do feel like they belong at church. What's true for them? What's true for the people who have grown up in church and say, yeah, I feel like I belong in church? The most common factor was the people in their church learned and used their name. It's that simple. We're trying all of these whiz-bang programs <laughs> and we're skipping the step of learning and using their names. Our youth leaders here are awesome about learning and using the names of the kids in our youth program. That is something we could all do. Not because we're going to have them walk around with neon signs or name tags, but because... An adult would take the scary step of walking up to a teenager and going, hi, right? That's one of, or one of the other 13 ones you want to use. Hi, you could use sup if you want, but they'll look at you funny. <laughs> hi, what's your name? And then when you see them the next week, you say hi and use their name. Amazing how much belonging that creates. And we know that because it's not just true for teenagers because we know it's true for us. We learn 
we know we use people's names. It creates fuller relationship, whether that relationship is two minutes long or two decades long. It's amazing how much of a difference that makes. We have lots of stories in scripture about Jesus engaging with people that we never get to learn their name. I don't know if Jesus knew it or not, but it was not important to the gospel writers that we knew their name. Jesus' relationship with Mary and Martha, and later we'll see their brother, brother Lazarus, so significant. We know their names. And there is something significant for all of us about knowing the name. In this short story of Jesus, Mary, and Martha, I think we see at least four significant elements of what begins to make up a meaningful relationship with someone. The first thing we see is we see Martha serve. We, we serve other people. That is part of having a full relationship with them. We desire to meet their needs. To do that, we're going to serve them. Often this story is told as if serving is bad and sitting with Jesus and listening is good. But Jesus does not condemn Martha for her serving. He doesn't condemn Martha at all. He doesn't even correct her serving. What he corrects is her worrying. My dear Martha, you are worried about all of these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. But he doesn't shut down her serving. Part of how we engage in full relationship with other people is we serve them. You wanna make your short interaction with your waiter or waitress more significant and more full? Yes, they're serving you because they're paid to. Find a way to serve them. Maybe it is just being respectful. Maybe it's helping tidy things up. Maybe it's just a big tip. Whatever it might be, find a way to serve them. It makes for a more full relationship with the people around us. We serve. Now, Mary is not serving, and yet she is fully engaging in relationship with Jesus. There is something very significant and meaningful about sitting with someone about simply sitting with them. Jesus is surrounded by people in this moment. Jesus and his friends, his friends are listening to him teach. They're simply sitting with him. There is something about sitting with other people at a table even that is a microcosm for how life and relationships work. There's something about gathering around a table and people earlier were asking where all the food is. There's donuts in the back. I... There's something significant about sitting around a table, maybe sharing a meal, drinking a cup of coffee or tea, whatever it may be, and engaging in relationship with one another. There's also something really significant about sitting with someone when you have no idea what to say. When there aren't words to address the grief or even the joy that they're feeling, and so you simply sit there and you bask in the emotion of the moment. And it creates a more full relationship. As you thought about the meaningful relationships in your life, that idea that somebody would just intentionally connect with you, just choose to be with you, I know came up in conversations. 
We serve each other as Martha did. We sit with each other as Mary did. And then the last two, I think, come out of how Jesus addressed Martha. First, it's worth noting that he told her the truth and she didn't want to hear it, and he told her anyway. So for all of us who like to think the relationships are going to be more full if we just don't rock the boat at all, uh, no, we, we have to speak the truth to each other. As you thought about meaningful relationships, I'm willing to guess that either that person was willing to tell you the truth and you appreciated it, or in hindsight, you wish they had. That as you think about your parents or siblings, you wish they'd been willing to tell you the truth that they didn't tell you. We speak the truth to each other. We honor each other by trusting each other with what's true, by being open to hearing the truth from each other. And in doing so, it creates a more full relationship, a more meaningful relationship. Now, it's also worth noting Again, that Jesus did not condemn Martha. My dear Martha, his words of truth come with compassion and with love and with grace. And part of how we create full relationship with each other is we share grace. Vulnerability comes up a lot in discussion about meaningful relationship, right? Somebody that you knew you could be open with and that they would forgive you or accept you or love you unconditionally, share grace with one another. We speak the truth. We speak out grace. We serve. We're present. As God calls us, us as individual disciples, as family units, as a church unit. As God calls us, forms us into being Jesus-centered, God-honoring disciples who are loving God and loving the people around us, who because of our love for God, because God loved us first, we love each other We desire the greatest good for the other people in this room. We aim to meet the deepest needs of the other people in this room. We go out from here with that same intention and love for the world around us. We share the love that God first shared with us as he served and sacrificed for us. As he sent his Holy Spirit to be present with us, to sit with us and be with us in every circumstance. The truth he has spoken to us, the grace he shares with us. And he calls us to go and do likewise. Here and as we go out. So as the worship team comes up and as we get set to go out, Let me pray for us. Father God, I am grateful that you are with us. That you are here. 
that you are sharing your truth and your grace and your love with us. God, you know the deepest needs of our hearts. You know what our greatest good is and not just the good we're asking for. God, would you pour your love into us that we would experience your love and truth and grace in some new way today so that we could share it in some new way with each other and with the people around us as we go through our week. Father, would you give us opportunities to share your love in meaningful ways with people we've known for decades and people we meet for 30 seconds. Thank you for your love for us and the opportunity we have to share it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.